Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And we're back with another original versus remake. And it's a biggie. It is. It is. It's one we've been meaning to do for a while now. Well, I mean, we kind of contradict ourselves, really, because mm. we say we'd never do Psycho uh, because it's scene for scene. Yeah. To be honest, when I chose this... I forgot how much scene for scene this is. That's true. Um, it's arguably the first one is one of the greatest horror films of all time, and the remake is not. It's the Omen. Oh man. There's oh. actually it's quite oh man. It's quite funny. Um, in a, a I don't know what language it translates to, but like when you change the poster on Letterboxd, uh, you could have it as Ome. Oh. So I mean that's quite fitting for the remake. The um, poll results, first oh. and foremost, let's get to those poll results. 79% voted the original, and a shocking 21% voted remake. I mean, no. <laughs> well, I mean, there are big Julia Stiles stands out well, there. Well, apparently one of those is Roger Ebert. Right. He gave the original a 2.5 stars out of 4, Ooh. but gave the remake 3 out of 4. Right. Okay. Um, How? He's entitled to his wrong opinion. Like, I mean, it's very much a case of, with these two films, if you want to watch The Omen, why would you not watch the original? Literally, the remake, why would anyone just randomly choose to put the remake on? Yeah, it's a strange one. Maybe people have only seen the remake. So say, like, they watched the remake, gave it, say, 7 out of 10 on IMDb, before watching the original and then realising... Okay. Okay. Let's make something clear. Uh, I was very young. Purely hypothetical. I was very young and I had not seen the original. Oh, okay. Okay, I see. Okay, if you've... If you... Ha- if you watched the remake and you haven't seen the original, please don't vote on our poll. Like, seriously. Duh! <laughs> oh, no, I mean... Yeah, everyone's entitled to their opinion, but we're going to spend... A prolonged period of time telling you why that opinion's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Start in, but you're entitled to it, so... Starting with a discussion about The Omen from 1976, a film that was originally going to be called The Birthmark. Oh. But a good chunk of the film was filmed on location in Italy uh, maternity wards. Uh, and the crew would put up signs saying filming the birthmark, and the women patients there would complain that they didn't want any mention of birthmarks in their... Uh, Maternity ward for fear of bringing bad luck. The crew then started to change the signs to film in the omen just as a temporary measure, and that was fine, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I will tell you right now that this film would not be as successful if it was called The Birthmark. Well, yeah. It sounds like B movie shite. Yeah. The Omen is a much better title. Yeah. Much, much, much better. It's directed by Richard Donner, who would go on to make Superman 1 and 2, Ladyhawk, the Lethal Weapon films, The Goonies, Inside Moves, The Toys, Scrooged, etc, etc. You know, prolific director. Very accomplished director. And this is very much the film that launched him. Really? Yeah. I always felt like this was later, but no, I suppose it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and it's written by David Seltzer, who was an uncredited writer for Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, uh, My Giant, Revelations, Nobody's Baby, Dragonfly, Bird on a Wire, 
Oh. Private sessions and more. Nice. And it was made on a $2.8 million budget and it made $60 million at the box office. Yes, highly successful. Hence the lesser sequels and the remake. Inevitable remake. Something that the rest of this franchise, and and yeah, I can't believe myself, it it got into a franchise. Um, Something it doesn't understand is the minimalism here. So one of Richard Donner's first requests to David Seltzer was to remove all suggestions of the supernatural, such as apparitions of um, cloven hoof demons, devil entities and witches' covens. The golden rule was that nobody was allowed in a script that couldn't have... Nothing that happened in the script could not happen in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea was that there should be some degree of doubt over if the deaths were accidental or caused by an evil force. The technique of death by rare accident was, you know, used again and again and again after this, specifically in The Awakening, 1980, and, of course, the Final Destination films. Um, But, yeah, it it is absolutely one of those cases where this film is scary because of the minimalism and, you know, leaving you questioning what's going on, something the remake doesn't understand. Yeah, there's... Actually, a subtlety to it. Yeah. Which, the most famous scenes from the film are not subtle. Mm -hmm. But the film as a whole is quite subtle in its horror. Yeah. It actually plays out less as a horror film than you would think Mm -hmm. overall. You know, the obvious comparisons are to The Exorcist. Well, it's actually Fairly removed from the Exorcist, yeah. Damien himself, who is son of the Antichrist or the second coming of the Antichrist or, or whatever it is, he's actually kind of barely in the film. That's true. That's really, true. it's um, about that not knowing. Yeah. For us and for the characters. Yeah, yeah. Um, marketing was genius. Part of its pre-release publicity campaign, and to point out the uh, the whole Free Sixers thing as a sign of Satan, the film was sneak previewed nationwide in America on the 6th of June 1976, and whilst audiences inside cinemas were being scared of witless by the film, cinema employees out front started putting up specially made posters declaring today is the sixth day of the sixth month of 1976. <gasps> Okie-do, it was, the gimmick worked quite well, uh, as many people freaked out upon seeing the posters as they left. Oh, bitch, we love a hokey gimmick. Well, when um, me and my friend and I went to see the Blair Witch sequel, the latest 2013 one, I believe it was, that was uh, an Odeon screaming scene, advanced screening, and they put up all the sticks around the cinema when you were leaving. <laughs> they did, they did. <laughs> I love that. I love that William Castle style. Yeah, stuff. great. I would, l- I would love to have that more often these days yeah. you know it's usually online isn't it it's usually you know twitter mm-hmm. someone says something and it becomes a big troll yeah um the vatican didn't like this gimmick Ooh. they were very opposed to the making of this film claiming it was being made solely towards ends absolutely consumeristic and economical that's how the film industry work, guys. Works, guys. Yes. Yeah, what? What did they think it was meant to be? A warning, like a, a warning for the devil, like yeah. promotion for God. You know, no. what, what? What do you want us to be? 
Right, okay. Like, I mean, go and watch The Exorcist. That's about God defeating evil. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose. But, but, hey, but it made a lot of money, so they won't like that. <laughs> no, that's true. Uh, and, of course, we can't discuss The Omen without discussing The Omen Curse. Yeah. So we watched this yesterday, and today Chris burnt the porridge. I did. I um, burnt the porridge. We ordered food in. It was nearly given away to someone else. You know, the Omen Curse is well and truly alive. It is. Um, but it's been going on for way longer than just us. Um, <laughs> uh, j- just so everybody knows, I am a very good cook. I know, it's, it's the Omen Curse. It's the Omen Curse. It's the Omen that Curse. made me burn the porridge. Uh, the film, yeah, it fell victim to a sinister curse. Uh, star Gregory Peck and screenwriter David Seltzer took separate planes to the UK, yet both planes were struck by lightning. Whilst producer Harvey Bernard was in Rome... Lightning just missed him. Rottweilers uh, hired for the film attacked their trainers. A hotel at which director Richard Donner was staying at got bombed by the IRA. And he was also run over by a car. After Peck cancelled another flight to Israel, the plane he would have been on um, crashed. Killing everyone on board. On day one of the shoot, several principal members of the crews survived a head-on car crash. The... uh, the jinx went way on into post-production when special effects uh, artist John Richardson was injured and his girlfriend was beheaded in an accident on the set of A Bridge Too Far. And whilst filming, the zookeeper at uh, Zoo Safari, where the scene with the baboons, giraffes and other animals go crazy, uh, was killed. The animals evidently went berserk during the baboon's attack scene. And uh, when he tried to intervene, he was killed by the zoo animals, oh supposedly. I mean... <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we called bullshit on the Exorcist curse. Uh, we called bullshit on the Podcast curse. I mean, this is some coincidence right here. Yeah. Um. Do we think it's an act of the devil or an act of God? Because the Pope weren't best pleased with the film. It's maybe, definitely God. Always maybe he God. was putting them in a few prayers. Yeah. Yeah. It was. I. I blame the Pope. I, I blame uh, I blame God. Um, the devil was just minding her own business. Is there a curse for the remake <laughs> as well? Oh my! Don't even get me started. There was an amazing bit of trivia relating to a curse involving the remake that was caused by a real person. Because spoiler alert: the Pope dies in the remake. The, the, Pope the Pope's an remake. actual character, kind of, in the remake. <laughs> That's the, literally the only addition to the film. Yeah. Um, do you think that's why they approved? No, no. We'll get to it. Okay, yeah. We have some fantastic trivia coming up for that. Yes. Um, some infuriating trivia as well, considering who did it got away with it. But anyway, we'll get to that when we get to it. For now, no, no. Let's let's summarize what this curse. What, what do you think? What do you think? What do I think? Do I think it's an actual curse? No, I don't believe in curses. Do I believe that there's been a hell of a load of bad luck surrounding the people involved in the film? Absolutely. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I don't. I don't think films are that powerful. No. No. <laughs> and it, you know, well, it's like I, people who I love say, my films, but I don't think they're that powerful. It's like people who say the Twilight Zone movie was, was cur- no, that was just incompetence. Like yes, yes, of course. Um. I mean, the Exorcist stuff's weird, the Poltergeist stuff's weird, but it's also just very, very unlucky. It's just very unlucky. There are probably 
romantic comedies that yeah. have a similar bad look surrounding yeah. them. It's just more noticeable around horror films because that's what you're looking yeah. for. You're looking for these things. Sorry, and listeners. For the connection. I'm sorry. Sorry, listeners. It's not as exciting an outcome as you wanted. Um, but we have a very exciting film to discuss still, so let's talk about our first feature presentation. For generations, the Thorns have been a family of tremendous wealth, position, and power. Robert and Kathy had a perfect marriage and a beautiful child. Then something terrible happened. And then it happened again. And they knew it was an omen. Gregory Peck, Lee Remick, The Omen, Rated R. Yes, The Omen, 1976. American diplomat Robert Thorne, played by Oscar winner Gregory Peck. Big star name. Yes, yeah, so Gregory Peck, um, according to at least one biography of his, he took this role at a huge cut in salary, mm-hmm. um, but was guaranteed 10% of the film's box office gross uh, when it went on to make more than $60 million in the US alone. It became the highest paid performance of Peck's career and uh, Gregory Peck's so, so I mean a bit of a history to him being in this film his son had committed suicide before the production um, had even been cast so they were convinced there's absolutely no way he was going to be a part of this yeah um considering the script deals with a man whose son has died and the script also involves a man who kills his son in the original ending but he amazingly accepted the role in spite of this, and it shows. I think so, and I, and and I don't like because I don't necessarily like putting it together. His actual real life trauma and his performance on screen, um, but I do think that maybe it did add to it. Obviously, Gregory Peck, mm. a fantastic actor, yeah. he could have done it justice either way. But his performance is really, really fucking good. Yeah, that final scene where of his where he's trying to kill Damien, like you could see the emotion behind that scene. Yeah, and it is is fucking incredible to watch. I mean, it's sad the reason behind it, but I I do think that played a part in it. But I I think Gregory and we'll obviously get into it when we compare them. But just in terms of the omen. The original Gregory Peck's presence in the film mm. elevates it. Yeah, Gregory Peck should never have starred in the birthmark, <laughs> but Gregory Peck stars in the Omen. Yeah, it works uh-huh. and it elevates and it makes it better. Yeah. the same way that Ellen Burstyn elevated The Exorcist. Yes. it made it into something more than yeah. maybe it had any right to be uh-huh. because. You know, yeah, we love horror films, but a lot of horror is schlocky and it's mm. fun and it, it's camp. Mm-hmm. But to elevate it into the place where The Exorcist and The Omen goes, you need a stellar cast. Yeah. I, I do think adding, you know, real trained actors into horror films really does make a big difference. I mean, and they, they do make for some of the most memorable roles. I mean, even... Donald Pleasance in Halloween, you know? Yeah, it, absolutely. You really... It, it makes a big difference. Um, but that's not to say the rest of the cast. But, I mean, I'd say it's not to say about the rest of the cast. 
the rest of this cast are all properly trained actors. Absolutely. Like, the, the cast for this film, they yeah. absolutely saw that Gregory Peck signed on. They're like, oh, okay, maybe this is uh, prestige. Let's let's all go for it. Yeah, yeah, I I, I definitely think so. And something that you got sort of tail end of the sixties into the seventies, these classic Hollywood actors and actresses doing horror films. Yeah. You know, it tends to be the other way round now. Mm. You randomly find out that Brad Pitt was in yeah. Cutting Class uh-huh. or Chris Hemsworth had started out in um, Kevin in the Woods. It just happened, Absolutely. So these horror films are the start for a lot of mm-hmm. A-list actors now. Whereas sort of back in the day, it's kind of where, unfortunately, but... Fortunately for us, because it's some fucking great films, where careers went to die, to a certain, particularly yeah. for women, and mm-hmm. you know I could go on about exploitation for hours and hours, but something like who, um, not who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, um, whatever happened to Baby Jane, yeah, yeah, yeah. elevated because Betty mm-hmm. Davis and Joan Crawford were in it, but for them that was a step down, you know, for Gregory Peck. He's he was a big time leading man, Oscar winner, actor. Yeah. In this horror film, and you find that, and there's loads of films like Burnt Offerings, mm-hmm. you know, um, loads of these classic Hollywood actors going into horror at the tail end, mm-hmm. and this is one of the best ones. Yeah. And because of that as well, and yeah, it yeah, elevates yeah. it. Um. So American diplomat Robert Thorne. Played by Gregory Peck and his wife Kathy, played by Lee Remick, uh, another Oscar nominated yeah, actress yeah. in her own right for the Days of Wines and Roses. Um, they're living in Rome where she gives birth to a boy who dies. And the film opens with uh, Gregory Peck in the back of a car, and the voiceover literally says, The child is dead. He breathed for a moment, but now he's dead. The child is dead. I was like, uh, not the most compassionate way of putting things, no. Mr. Italian voiceover man. Um, the hospital chaplain, Father Spilletto, persuades Robert to secretly adopt a baby whose mother just died in childbirth. Robert does not tell Kathy the child is not their own. They name him Damien. Yeah, do you know someone who's not classically trained? <laughs> Harvey Stevens, who plays Damien. <laughs> but he was chosen uh, because of the way he attacked Richard Donner during auditions. Oh, Lord. Donner asked all the little boys to come at him as if they were attacking Catherine Fawn during the uh, wig snatching scene at the wedding. Um, the church scene. Stevens screamed and clawed at Donner's face and kicked him in the groin during his act. And uh, Donner whipped the kid off him, ordered the kid's blonde hair dyed black, and cast him as Damien there and then. <laughs> Yeah, he's got the haircut of a 70s He definitely kid, has, yeah. Uh, in a film. I, yeah, and we'll get into it later on. I like his acting choices because it makes him, it doesn't make him feel like a character in a film. He's just like a bratty kid. <laughs> yeah, but also the it sort of plays to the strengths yeah. of what child actors can do. Yeah, yeah. And the remake doesn't, but we'll get into it. Um... Five years later, Robert becomes ambassador to the United Kingdom. Um, they move. 
he tells his wife, Kathy, yeah, I'm the ambassador now. He tells her she Pack be... your bags, we're going to the UK. Well, he tells her she's too sexy for the White House. Exactly. Uh, yeah, you know, you could be too sexy for the White House. <laughs> uh, Gregory Peck, your old smoothie. <laughs> uh, is he going to constantly make decisions without consulting his wife? Yes. Okay. So that's why it, it's, and that's why he's punished at the end. Yeah, there are moments that are a bit problematic that wouldn't happen and they don't necessarily happen in the remake, but kind of do. Um yeah, we'll get into that. Uh, a menacing Rottweiler appears at their home, locking eyes with Damien's nanny, who proceeds to publicly hang herself during his fifth birthday party. Such the first time you watch it. Now, obviously, things get camper with time. Yes. Um, but the first time you watch this scene, it's chilling. It is. It's absolutely shocking. I it's... forgot how quickly the film gets to it. Because yeah. we're really early on in the film. The film's best part of two hours. Mm -hmm. So we're really quite early on in the film. And this very shocking scene happens. Yeah. She's on the roof of their massive fucking home. Um... And she shouts to Damien, this is all for you, and hangs herself and smashes through the window. Um, yeah. Expertly crafted. Absolutely. And, you know, Richard Donner is great at creating chaos. Um, I mean, you know, if you look at the Goonies, the whole thing's fucking chaos. Um, but when you look at this scene in particular, she hangs herself out of nowhere and... There's no, if I remember it, there's no soundtrack. Mm. It's just people just in hysterics because of this. And the way he films it and all the close-ups of everyone. And then you've got Damien really calm and like waving to this dog. It is fucking creepy and it is intense. But it's it also, from a 2023 viewpoint, it is also a very camp-dressed woman being told by a dog to kill herself. And she does before she kills herself, she does say, it's all for you, Damien, in the most camp way. It, the, the, the voice is quite camp. And it's high camp. I mean, <laughs> it's serious subject matter, and it's shocking when you first watch it, but it, it's camp. There's no denying this camp. I think what also makes it camper is knowing that the actress's name is Holly Palance, <laughs> which is very close to Holly Valance. <laughs> Who was a bit of a pop star in the early bit, 2000. Eh? Well, she had a few hit singles back in the early 2000s here in the UK. So I think that makes it a little camp. <laughs> well, yeah. But it is a great scene. It's iconic. It is iconic. It is iconic. But, and and you'll realise by the end of this podcast episode, that we think all the set pieces oh, yeah, yeah, are, yeah. you know, iconic. Yes. Father Brennan turns up. He warns Robert about Damien's origins, hinting that he is not human and insisting Robert take communion. Um, why is it in films people try to convince others of rather far-fetched scenarios <laughs> by blurting things out it's true. randomly rather than <laughs> calmly explaining the situation in a reasonable manner? Like, where are the receipts? Mm-hmm. You're bellowing at this guy that his son is the devil, <laughs> demon, antichrist, all that business. Shouting at him to take communion. You know, the eyes are popping. <laughs> it, 
It's Ramona down the catwalk. Liz. Where are your receipts? Of course he's not going to believe you. <laughs> of course he's going to think you're full of shit. <laughs> New nanny, Mrs. Baylock, arrives unannounced, and we can see she's a wrongan from the offset. We can. And she was also nearly not in the film. Oh. Um, the producers and Richard Donner were debating whether or not to uh, remove her because uh, the rest of the film's so subtle. To keep, enough to keep you guessing, um, whether it was, you know, really demonic conspiracy or just coincidences. But Mrs. Baylock is so over-the-top evil that it was pretty clear she was straight from hell, um, which killed the ambiguity in some scenes. Um, but Richard Donner loved Billy Whitelaw so much in the role that he just could not let her go. And I'm glad he didn't because she is iconic in this role. Yeah, Billy Whitelaw, a seasoned actress... From the UK again, elevating the film. Yeah, uh, she was nominated for a BAFTA for this role. I don't even think this takes away from the ambiguity because, again, she could just be fucking crazy. Yeah, she is a she's a complete wrong one. She yeah. is she is a you know, if Damien isn't the Antichrist, mm. it doesn't take away from the fact that she's a weird. Type. Yeah, yeah, and she's scary. Yeah. You know, and if he is, then that just adds to it. We love psychotic women in horror when done right, just as much as we love a strong female protagonist, you know? It, it's very much a case of she's not crazy because she's a woman. No, she's crazy because religion, <laughs> which why a lot of people are crazy. Um, <laughs> Anti-religion, yeah. But like, you know, she believes he's the fucking devil. So she's going, she thinks she's going full mother. Um, but she's going full psycho. Yeah. Kathy and Mrs. Baylock disagree straight away on Damien going to church, and he eventually violently resists entering. Kathy <laughs> serving in a pale blue she's dress. Serving with, in every scene. With matching turban. Yeah. Uh, Damien snatches when he starts fighting her. And he tries to snatch her wig. He tries is trying so hard to snatch that wig. The The... It is a turban, isn't it? It is a turban, yeah. yeah. It gets snatched. Um, I thought it was normal Sunday service. It's a wedding. But it's a wedding. Yeah. Robert and Kathy, they definitely look like they're dressed for a wedding. Whoever's wedding it was, fuck their drag, because they're about to have their scene stolen by that outfit. Yeah, they, they were, yeah. Yeah, I suppose Damien did them a favour. Yeah. Um, Mrs. Baylock brings the Rottweiler into the home, much to Robert's annoyance, and he quickly tells her to get rid of it despite Damien getting along well with the dog. Oh, yeah, it is the same Rottweiler from outside. It is. Which makes so much less sense in the remake. confusing. Oh, it's a different dog in the remake, and I don't know why. I thought that it was trying to rightfully um, change things up, because, obviously, Rottweiler's beautiful dogs mm. with a bad reputation. Yeah. No, it's still a Rottweiler, though. Yeah. Yeah. Damien and Kathy go to the wildlife park and Damien's presence terrifies the animals. Okay, number one, the giraffes running away from him. High camp. Is... <laughs> High camp. I think the whole scene's quite camp. It is quite camp. <laughs> and then the baboons attack the car. Um, Okay, completely unrelated to the film. But seeing the word and how... <laughs> saying the word baboons... <laughs> <laughs> That's camp. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, 
I'm gonna give an award to yourself. You know how you, you know how you can't say wasps yeah. with valets at the end. Baboons. It sounds weird to say it. I don't okay. say it out loud very often, and it sounded very strange. But anyway, they attack the car. There's some close up of their testicles. There is. <laughs> Teabagging the windscreen. Prestige horror film. Prestige horror film. You know, and Lee Remick almost gets teabagged by a baboon. And there's Chris. Oh, you see the baboon's testicles. Well, you can. <laughs> we're like right in front of the camera. Uh, Kathy is becoming concerned about Damien and, and herself with everything going on. She asks Robert to find her a psychiatrist. She says something that's. Um, very interesting. She says, uh, what could be wrong with our child? We're the beautiful people, aren't we? <laughs> and both films come from a place of great privilege. Yeah. Which is the purpose, because, you know, the whole thing is that the Antichrist will be born from politics. Yeah, it's Donald Trump's origin story. It's Donald Trump's origin story. But I, I, it's an interesting one, because we kind of... If you don't think Damien is the Antichrist, then this is just rich white people having a meltdown. Yeah. And you're kind of a bit like, shut up, bitch. Look at that big house you're in. <laughs> a, li a little bit. You are. But more so in the remake. More so in the remake. More yeah. so in the remake. But it is kind of a bit like, fuck you, Winchin. <laughs> But obviously everybody has their own problems. But I thought it was a very interesting thing for her to say. Yeah. Because they are, you know, they were born into privilege. Robert went to a very prestigious school with the president. He's good friends with the president. Yeah. You know, they're very rich. This house, fucking massive. Mm -hmm. For the three of them, huge. You know, why has she got a nanny? She doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's all from a, that place, which I think hits a little different now. Yes. Uh, Father Brennan and Robert meet, and Brennan yet again refuses to be completely clear from the offset. He starts the conversation saying, When the Jews return to Zion, and a comet rips the sky, and the Holy Roman Empire rises, then you and I must die. From the eternal sea he rises, creating armies on either shore, turning man against his brother, till man exists no more. Gregory Peck's just like, right. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> okay, um, and what's that got to do with me? Like, what are you talking about, man? If this, if this is potentially the extinction of mankind as we know it, be a little fucking clearer, mate. Mm -hmm. You know, get your points across. Get a fucking whiteboard out. Draw us a picture. Where are the receipts? He eventually does tell Robert that Damien is the son of Satan, that Kathy is pregnant, and that he will kill his unborn sibling and, uh, and his parents, unless he is himself killed. After the meeting, a storm brews, and Brennan is killed by a falling lightning rod. Another great scene, another great it set is. piece, another iconic death, another iconic visual. This was absolutely uh, referenced in Hot Fuzz as well, which also stars Billy Whitelaw. Ah. As Joyce. There so, we are. Yeah. So yeah, he's he's got to the church and the lightning, lightning rod 
is something that's there to attract lightning so uh-huh. it doesn't hit trees and people and such i'm assuming mm-hmm. that gets hit falls off and impales him um not cgi no like the remake but we'll get to that um but yeah iconic visual yeah. straight onto the front of a newspaper straight onto the front <laughs> of the... yes so kathy is having a tough time and is struggling with her relationship with damien Kathy tells Robert she wants an abortion, which he opposes. Um, she quite rightly cannot stand the sound of Damien <laughs> screeching whilst messing about with the pool table. Uh, Richard, she is an absolute mood. She, she's, yeah, she's had enough. She's like, this little shit. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Richard finds out about Father Brennan's death via a very graphic photo in the cover of a newspaper. <laughs> okay, now we can comment on this. This isn't like when we see American films where there's like dead bodies on the news. Oh, like, we can comment about in a body on, bag on yeah. morning news. Like we can comment on UK newspapers. We do not see corpses on the no, front we fucking don't. cover. So I don't know where this came from. No, we do, we do not see. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it, it happens in the remake as well, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't log on to rotten.com and find it. Caffey's uh, doctor discusses Caffey's health with Richard. Caffey believes Damien is evil or alien, and her doctor believes that another child would be detrimental to her mental stability. Richard, com- uh, Richard, Robert, who's fucks Richard? Robert completely refuses <laughs> to agree to <laughs> I actually have him down as Richard a lot. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because I think Richard's his brother in the sequel. <laughs> but I, I actually do this a lot. A little behind the scenes tidbit here for you on the podcast. I get names wrong a lot. And because I'm a professional, I'm able to change it on the fly. But in this case, not so much. Yeah, you drew a lot of attention to it's, it's the... <laughs> it's... <laughs> It's the uh, curse. So Robert completely refuses to agree to an abortion. And it was foretold... Oh, because it was foretold and he doesn't want it to happen the way that Father Brennan has said things will happen. Question. Mm. Who the fuck put him in charge of his wife's body? I know. Is that what it was like in 1976? I mean, it's like it in the fucking remake. Yeah, well, technically, but he... In the remake, he doesn't flat out say, no, she's not allowed. He does. He says he doesn't want it. But in this, she doesn't get one because Robert won't agree to it. Well, I mean, to be fair, in both instances, she doesn't really get a chance. There's not much of a chance. Like, but... I mean, <laughs> Damien helps her along the way. Yeah. Spoiler the gist of this, though, is that she is legally not allowed to get one. That this is what I'm gathering mm. from it. She's actually not allowed to get one unless Robert agrees to it. That's yeah. the gist I'm getting because the doctor's talking to him about it. Mm-hmm. Like, is that allowed? Mm. Damien knocks Kathy over a railing to the floor below, injuring her and causing a miscarriage. She's uh, then stuck in the hospital, recovering afterwards. Yes. Um, another iconic scene of yeah. her holding onto the railings after the goldfish bowl is smashed on the floor. Uh, any little tidbits about how they filmed that? 
Um, I do know there was a lot of extra precaution there because of what happened to Ellen Burstyn on the Exorcist set where she uh, injured her back. Yeah. Like, I, I do believe she actually fell from this height, but it's not a very big height. And obviously the floor would have all been padded. Really? Because um, it actually looks like potentially she's doing a little twirl and they're pushing something towards the camera, like the floor's being pushed. Potentially. Oh, my... Potentially, I all I, I know think that's is how they've done it in films in the past. Yeah, all I know is they made it extra safe, and Lee Remick was very, you know, on edge about it, and said, you know, because of she's heard what happened to Ellen Burstyn. Yeah, we need some extra safety measures in place here because I'm not getting a bad back. Yeah, so essentially, what what Kathy's doing is she's um, watering the hanging baskets, mm -hmm. indoor hanging baskets. And very quite stupidly, actually, she gets on a chair right by the railing to water them. Damien comes along on his tricycle because he's a kid in the 70s <laughs> and knocks the chair. She goes, she's clinging on as the fishbowl lands on the ground and smashes. And then she goes afterwards. Yeah. For to if she was in a smaller house, that wouldn't have been a problem. Uh -huh. There is uh, actually something here about it that I will read out to you. Oh, gone on. Unprofessional, you know. But, um, yeah, so, of course, it happened with The Exorcist, etc., etc. You know what happened there. Um, when this scene happens in The Omen um, and she gets knocked off the balcony, Remick admittedly, uh, adamantly, Refused to do the stunt, and finally Richard Donner restaged the the stunt, so that Remick being pushed off the balcony was an optical illusion. Ah, oh, so there we go. There we go. Very good. I mean, it works. It does. It works. It does. Julia Stiles, I know, does her own stunts in that scene in the remake. So Julia Stiles is a queen. Yeah, not including in no, the but her herself. <laughs> Photographer Keith Jennings, who has been following the development since Damien's fifth birthday, notices shadows in photographs of the nanny and of Father Brennan that foretell their deaths. Keith shows Robert the photos alongside news clippings and biblical passages at Father Brennan's home. These suggest the coming of the Antichrist. Um, Robert tells, his, tells Keith that Damien was born on the 6th of June at 6am. <gasps> and that Damien isn't, in fact, his biological son. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, was... I'm assuming 666 is a thing, and I'm not uh, biblically trained. That's the term. Um, 666 is a thing in the Bible. I, so it's not idea. something they made up for the film. I'm... This is where I know it from. Yeah. The most. But I'm assuming... It was in the Bible, the, the number of the devil, 666. I'm not going to read it to find out, but okay. I assume so. You're not going to read it to find out. Is there not a little index at the back? No. Oh, shit. Keith, after revealing he may be next on the chopping block, accompanies Robert to Rome to investigate Damien's birth. They learn that a fire destroyed the hospital, including Kathy's maternity records, and killed the staff on duty. They find Father Spiletto in a monastery, severely burned, mute, blind in one eye, and partly paralysed. Now, I have to say, this is the part of the film that I find a little dull. Keith and Robert investigating in Italy. 
it, I find it, it, you know, it's very much to build a story. Yeah. Um, and I feel like the payoff makes it worthwhile. Yeah, I feel like it could have been slimmed down. It probably could personally, have, yeah. and I do object to Kathy being stuck in a hospital during all of mm-hmm. this, doing for corn. When actually there's an interesting story there. Especially big Jamie Lee Curtis fan. She's just copying her in Halloween Kills. But she wasn't wearing a wig. So... Well, she may have been, actually. She may have been. If she was, it's a good wig. Uh, he directs them to the cemetery where Damien's biological mother is buried. In Damien's mother's grave, Robert and Keith find a jackal carcass. And, in the next plot, a child's skeleton with a shattered skull. Robert realises that the jackal is Damien's mother... And the child is his own son, murdered so Damien can take his place. Before he's able to fully digest all that, a pack of Rottweilers drives Robert and Keith from the cemetery. Really dark series of events. Mm. Yeah, it is. Uh, the idea that his child didn't die during childbirth. It was actually murdered. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure who by. I don't know who put all of this together. If you know what I mean. Mm. Um, was Father Spilletto in on it? Well, I mean, whoever gave him the baby at the start. That was. I think that was Father Spilletto. And there we go. Uh, Robert calls Kathy in hospital to tell her she must leave London immediately. Before she can do so, Mrs. Baylock throws her to her death from a window. Um, I love this imagery. I love the image of her falling from the hospital window. She goes through the roof of the ambulance and then there's a close-up on her face as the ambulance doors are forced open by the mm-hmm. impact. Love it. Yeah. I always forget this. I don't know why it was removed in the remake. No. No, I don't. I mean, I love... I know this sounds a bit weird, but we are horror fans. So, <laughs> out of context, it sounds weird. But in <laughs> the context of being horror fans on a podcast, I love when people fly out windows. <laughs> I love it. I'm thinking Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, Scream 4... Yeah. When she thought, you know, she's thrown out the window. I love it. I love the visual. It's the only time that I appreciate a bit of slow-mo. Um, yeah, great. Robert and Keith meet Antichrist expert Carl <laughs> Bugenhagen. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, <laughs> each to their own. Uh, Carl says that if Damien is the true Antichrist, he will bear a birthmark in the shape of three sixes. Carl gives Robert seven daggers with which to kill Damien on hollowed ground. Now he's not just a, an expert. He's the expert. Like, the expert. He's prepared with weapons and everything. He knows. He... He's got every... He's been waiting for this <laughs> there's, moment. There's always one in every film, but he's he's uh, he's one of the best. He yeah. Knows. he's He's been waiting a long time for this to happen. Uh, Fawn refuses to do so, but Keith remains convicted in their task. Um, Keith, though, doesn't have much time to put it into practice because he is very quickly decapitated by a sheet of glass. Now, this is the most famous scene. Yeah. This this is the, the, all the, the sort of death set pieces. This is the most famous one. And for good reason, too. Yeah, Richard Donner filmed and edited it in such a way... 
where the audience, having closed their eyes at the beginning of the scene, uh, would open them only to see the head still floating in the air. Yes. <laughs> and David Warner actually kept his severed head for years until his divorce when his ex-wife obtained custody of it. He must have been fuming. He must have. I think she was sticking pins in it. Yeah. Uh, where does what she you want keep to keep it? the head for? Like, where does she... she keep it? In the kitchen? The bathroom? Um, but yeah, the sheet of glass cuts off his head. The head spins yeah. in the air. Yes, the dummy head may not have stood the test of time. It's a little, yeah, hokey. Um, but so iconic. Yeah. So, so iconic. It's from my first viewing of the film. It's the nanny and Keith that are the most memorable yeah. death scenes. Um, Robert, now reluctantly accepting his task, finds the birthmark on the sleeping Damien's scalp and is attacked by Mrs. Baylock, who he stabs <laughs> to death. And Mrs. Baylock, what's she wearing in this scene? So at first she's wearing green pyjamas, but when she gets stabbed, it causes her pyjamas to turn blue for some reason. <laughs> what the fuck's that all about? I think it's the way the pyjamas appear on film. No, they were definitely green. But the, bright green. Yeah. And they're definitely they bright blue. to blue, and then they go to green. <laughs> she has a costume change in between scenes. But at points, it makes it look like it's kids' pyjamas. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, just her attacking him in pyjamas is camp. It is camp. Armed with the daggers, Robert drives Damien to a cathedral, his erratic driving drawing the attention of the police. Robert drags a screaming Damien onto the altar to kill him, but is shot to death by police before he can do so. Which isn't how it was originally going to end. Originally, he was going to be killed in good triumphs, but the MPAA said the scene was too shocking, which ironically brought about the ending where the Antichrist triumphs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, number one, you've got to leave space for a sequel. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, number two, I suppose. You can't have a kid being killed. No. It doesn't happen often in films. So I do understand that. The double funeral of Kathy and Robert is attended by the US President and the First Lady, who have Damien with them. Damien turns and smiles at the camera. And we end the film on a quote from the Book of Revelation, chapter 13, verse 18. Here is wisdom. Let him that have understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. And that's that maiden. is the omen. Beast, how dare you? Um, that is the omen, yes. 1976. Yeah. Um, like I said earlier, it doesn't necessarily play out as a straight-up horror film in the traditional sense. Um, if you swapped out the Antichrist elements and replaced them with like espionage, you know, <laughs> it, it, yeah, but if Damien was maybe an undercover spy, yeah. not as a child, but you know what I mean, infiltrating mm -hmm. um, the ambassador's home, you've got a decent political thriller there. Yeah. You know, maybe the death scenes wouldn't be so elaborate, but you would still have those set pieces uh -huh. like you would in you know, a thriller. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's maybe a little dull in parts. Again, particularly those parts with Richard and Keith in Italy. But something we ne haven't mentioned, the soundtrack oh, is yeah. 
incredible. In- well, impeccable. There's a reason we haven't mentioned it yet. We, we've got an in-depth discussion about it. We will. Later on. But it's part but it of why I love the film. Yeah, I it's, mean, it's one of my favourite horror films. It's, it's so good. And uh, those death set pieces are incredible. They, they are. They've, and considering this is what, the best part of 50 years ago, uh-huh. they've stood the test of time. Yeah. yeah. Apart no. from David Warner's fake head. It is... <laughs> It's so creepy. It's such a creepy film and masterfully acted, masterfully made. It's, yeah, just... It's elevated horror. It's a milestone. I'd say it's yeah. a milestone horror. I think, I think so. So many of the things that the film establishes have come back time mm-hmm. and time again in horror cinema. Yeah, absolutely. But as good as the original was, sadly, we now have to talk about the remake. The Omen from 2006. Um, 2006. Perfect opportunity. You know, well into the remake, uh, horror remakes of the 2000s. Mm-hmm. And the year's got a six in it. And of course, this film was released to coincide with the date of 666. The 6th of June, 2006. Uh, as its publicity thing. Yeah, and I was there. I was there at the cinema. Worked. 666. Six. Yeah, must have worked. I, I wanted to be there. I was, was not old enough. I see. Um, But yeah, I did watch it, as we said at the start of the episode, I did watch this before the original and, you know, thought it was good when it first came out. But fuck me. On a rewatch, this is fucking rough. We really, I, we've said it so many times, especially on original versus remake episodes. We really fucking had it rough in the 2000s for horror. Yes. Yeah, let's, let's be honest. Yeah, like, it was. Oh my god. There's some that are still fun to revisit for nostalgia, like uh, House of Wax. And, I mean, I love, obviously, I love Paranormal Activity. You don't. Um, Saw. So, you know, there's, there's some standouts. The Hills of Eyes. I mean, come on. The Hills of Eyes remix better than the original. Um, you know, there's a lot of good stuff there that's still fun to revisit, but then you get stuff like this and it's just like, oh my God, it makes you realize how many lazy copycat films are out there because as much as this is taken from the original script a lot, you know, it still very much tries to tie in those 2000s horror sensibilities into this film. Well, it's, it's a cheap cash grab yeah at the end of the day and a lot of the remakes at the time were a cheap cash grab yeah they were remaking films that never needed to be remade Mm -hmm. it's as simple as that and they did it for the money yeah this is directed by john moore who made max Payne, flight of the phoenix behind enemy lines it and a good day to die hard i've seen two of those max Payne and a good day to die hard and they're both fucking abysmal I have seen neither, so but I tr- um, well I don't know how much I trust you to. No, <laughs> I trust your taste. Funny fun fact with the writer for this film. So technically written again by David Seltzer. Uh huh. David Seltzer did not pick up a pen to write this fucking film. Dan McDermott wrote the screenplay, but was denied a credit by the Writers Guild of America who deemed this script too close a resemblance to David Seltzer's 1976 original. So Seltzer, despite having no involvement with the production of the remake, receives the sole writing credit. That is fucking crazy. Like, 
the fact that this guy just rewrote the original script. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, he. it's almost shot for shot. Yeah, there's only two differences. The stuff with the Pope, which takes up about four minutes of screen time. Yeah. And the shitty dream sequences, which take up about, and not probably not even a minute of screen time. Everything else is shot for shot. Yeah, yeah. Deaths are changed slightly. But Some still, of them same are sort of deaths changed. Yeah, with the same outcome. Yeah, um, and then there's one extra death. Yeah, but we'll get it. Obviously, get into that as we go through the film. Made on a budget of twenty five million dollars. May I remind you that the original was made on a budget of two point eight million dollars, and it still looks incredible to this day. This is made on a budget of twenty five million, and it looks like fucking shit. It hasn't aged great no it very much in keep and i feel like we say this all the time <laughs> on original versus remake but it has that look of a 2000s remake no, no actually do you know what on this one the gloomier i was gonna say that's actually insulting to other 2000s remakes this is by far the worst looking one like some of the day for night stuff they added in here what the fuck but are I'm they thinking some of it i'm not even sure is day for night some of it, it's I just, just think weird they're grading, trying like... to create an atmosphere mm. by making the whole thing grey. Yeah. Uh, at a box office, it will not surprise you to learn that it made $119.9 million. On a... What, $25 million. $25 million. Yeah. yeah that, that's a profit. Yeah. It's... And it didn't get a, a sequel. Surprise. No. No, it was a cheap cash grab for the, the date. I feel like it, they had to do it, so what they did was just redo the original, like, almost shot for shot. Well, the studio didn't think it could have made... It, they, they weren't so sure that it could make money, because mm. um, they were originally going to give it a PG-13. Oh, okay. To make more money. Um, oh, but God, could you imagine how bad that would be? Uh, it probably wouldn't have been much different, to be honest. John Moore uh, insisted on the R rate and suggested people would smell a cop out... If a remake of The Omen was to receive a family-friendly certificate. Yeah. I'm still smelling a cop-out. Mm. Like you literally just copied the original. The thing is, when Dan McDermott presented them that script, why didn't they just throw it away and be like, you know what? Someone else, write us another one. If you're not going to give them a credit anyway, hire a new fucking writer. The fact that they still went ahead with it, they're just as bad. Mm. They're just as bad for sticking with it instead of getting someone to write a fucking new one. They are just as bad as he is. What the fuck do we know? It made money. That's that, that was their intent. Yeah, because <laughs> people in the 2000s wanted a certain thing, and this gave them that certain thing. Just, it does not survive outside of the 2000s. No. On the, Remember I said I had a bit of exciting trivia about the curse? Go on then, let's know. This is amazing. On May 1st, 2021, the former mayor of the Croatian city of Solon... Uh, and today is still elected perfect of split county and government ruling party member, Blanzeko Boban, admitted in front of several reporters on video and on record to organise the burning of film sets and destroying them because he and local religious leaders were offended by the satanic subject matter of the film oh, being shot in, in, in his area. He burnt the set, so then the Croatian Minister of Culture would change his mind and stop supporting the making of the film in Croatia, which afterwards happened. The whole film crew left without knowing who made the fire. Again, you know, oh, it's the Omen curse. It fucking wasn't. Sure. Until 2021, and publicly bragging from Boban for what he did, 
He was not per prosecuted for what he did. And the police made an investigation and closed the case because of the uh, prosecution time limit. So that fucker burnt sets. He vandalized property and he got away with it and brags about it to this day. <laughs> and they were like, oh shit, it's the omen curse. What a, I mean, technically it is a curse, I suppose. I mean, it's a run of bad luck, really. But it just How did it not has... know it was going to happen? Yeah, there's a perpetrator. <laughs> um, what a weirdo. Like, he's taking it so seriously. I know. Bro. I mean, to be honest, if he knew how the film was going to turn out, who can blame him? Life's too but... short to take stuff that seriously. Calm down. <laughs> it's just a film, for fuck's sake. Uh, yeah, so there we go. That happened. Now, <laughs> um, shall we talk about... I mean, technically our second feature presentation, but the exact same film again. <laughs> yeah, let's just say what I've just spent ages saying. When I close my eyes, I see horrible things. Kill me. The Omen is here. Rated R. Wow. We're not going to start it with the same thing because we start a little differently. Oh, how exciting. The, the opening credits look like fucking made for video opening credits. It looks so shitty. It looks like the Asylum ripoff. Do you remember the Asylum ripoff? I do not. No. 666 The Child. <laughs> no. No, I don't. Oh, actually. I love the Asylum. I think we should do an Asylum month. There's, there's so much to talk about. Right. Okay. And they follow us on Twitter, so I'm sure they'd love that. Um, so we start with a priest looking for a telescope and he spots some sort of meteorite coming from the sky. Uh, so he decides to do some research on the end of times. He goes to tell all his gal pals at the Vatican about it and uh, a meeting is held to predict the end of times where they're spilling the tea by showing footage of 9-11 as well as rockets taking off and various natural disasters, war and acts of terrorism. Okay, there was no need for 9-11 to be in this film. What the fuck are you, what are you doing? What are you doing? Seriously. I'm just, I'm not sure, because there's no dialogue during the scene. No, they're just talking was, shit. Yeah, but there's no dialogue. Yeah, but there is. But we can't understand it, because even when you put subtitles on, it's like, speaking Italian. Oh, well, that's useful. Oh, I think, no, when they're speaking in Latin or Italian, I, I just, um, yeah. But because you don't know what they're saying, it doesn't mean anything. It's just images of famines and yeah. terrorism and... And such. She's like, okay, well, what are you trying to say here? What's the reason? Or this will shock people. Like, oh, how shocking. <laughs> you know, and it is shocking. But not in the way that they intend it no. to be. Uh, but then, you know, you think, oh, that's different. I'm sure I'm for a different film here. No, Robert Fall, an American diplomat stationed in Italy, is told that his son was stillborn. Uh, Pierce Brosnan and Jim Carrey were considered for the role. Right. Before it's given to leave Shreba. Okay. I mean, they'd have put a bit more life into it. Maybe. But Jim Carrey would have. I, I prefer Jim Carrey's serious roles. Do you? Yeah. I, mean, I, don't, think he's, I don't think he's particularly funny. But as a serious actor, I think he's great. Um, I think his shtick hasn't aged the best. Mm. In the 90s, I fucking loved it. Loved The Mask. Oh, The Mask was great. It was great. Yeah, an exception. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. But we got Leave Shreve instead. 100% cotton weary. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. He I will thought, get into what I he think. He thought he was playing Pinocchio in this film. 
Because he nice. is a wooden. Fucking wooden. Uh, unknown to his unconscious wife, Catherine, Robert adopts an orphan ne- a newborn at the uh, suggestion of the hospital's chaplain Catholic priest, Father Spoleto. The role of Catherine Form was originally offered to Rachel Vice. Okay, that would work. That's a shame. I'm. I would have much preferred to have seen Rachel Vice in this. Yeah, I think that would um, work. she was pregnant at the time, so she was like, "Fuck that." Oh. Uh, other actresses considered were Laura Linney, Hope Davis, and Alicia Witt before Julia Stiles finally got the part. And uh, Stiles and Mia Farrow were both in a play together. And Stiles suggested to producer and director John Moore that they use Farrow for the role of Mrs. Baylock. Initially, uh, Moore didn't think that Farrow would accept the role, but Stiles uh, convinced him she would. He just rang her up and she was like, yeah, fuck it. Not going for Carol's on right now. Might as well. Get a bit of money. Another film about a satanic child, you know? Oh, yeah, of course. Um... Yeah, we'll, we'll get to Mia Farrow shortly. Um, naming him Damien, Robert and Catherine raised the boy. Robert's career ascends over the course of the next five years. He's named Deputy Ambassador to the Court of St. James in the United Kingdom. And Catherine learns how to speak Italian. Um, to which she's trying, isn't she? Trying. She's not doing the best. A bit obsessed with it. I mean, following the death of the... Oh, yeah. Following the death of the previous ambassador in a suspicious vehicle fire caused by a vagrant in the style of Final Destination, because it's 2006, Robert assumes his position and settles in a large estate just outside of London. And when Catherine gets there, she's like, ah, it reminds me of Stephen's place in Italy. Girl, why are you so obsessed with Italy? Let it go. Yeah, let it You've gone from a massive, lovely home in Italy to a massive, lovely home in the UK. (laughs) Get over yourself, love. Literally, Leaf Troop was like, wait, are you, are you sure you're okay with this? What, you're okay with this massive, lovely fucking house that's far too big for you and your shitty family? Uh-huh. Jesus Christ. The death of the ambassador. Yeah. Very final destination. And it's an issue I have with the film because a lot of the other deaths happen in a similar way where uh-huh. it's based a lot on coincidences. Yeah. So it's not, you know... We see the domino effect. As with the original, the lightning bolt hits the pole, the pole falls off, happens to land on him. Yeah. It's one thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in this one, it's, there's a crash, someone's smoking a cigarette, they leave their Mm -hmm. cigarette, the gas is going towards the cigarette, he can't get out of the car. It's all, Mm -hmm. do you understand what I mean? It's, it's... It's a domino All effect. Based, yeah, the yeah. domino effect. Yeah, yeah. and, and that works very, in Final Destination. That works very much so in Final Destination, but it doesn't really in this film. Because, no. the, you know, it. the original was going for that. This could happen to anyone at any point. Mm-hmm. Whereas a little far-fetched. Yeah. This is very much one of those films that tries to bring in so many different things. So it's obviously trying to be The Omen, because it's a remake of The Omen. Go and watch The Omen instead. It's trying to be Final Destination. Go and watch Final Destination instead. The kid's trying so hard to be a creepy kid. Go and watch a thousand other creepy kids' films. I'm, I can bet you any money they'll be better than this. Like, <laughs> it's not gonna... It, it's just... And I know a remake isn't trying to be original, but then you look at stuff like Suspiria, and even, you know what, even The Hills of Eyes, what it does with the second half of it, there's still an ounce of originality in there to go to coincide with everything that's a homage to the original. This just hasn't got a, a single answer to it because any bits that aren't from the original are ripping off something else. Yeah, and it doesn't feel very modern 
either. Because, not now it because, doesn't. But no, not even in 2006. Because obviously 30 years had passed. Mm. And with a lot of remakes, they at least bring it into the modern era. Yeah. But I, this one, it didn't even do that. Well, I mean, they've got phones and laptops, haven't they? Yeah, but... I suppose it, that's their excuse for that's them. only really... But it's not telling it from a modern perspective. No. It just happens that, you know, he instead of seeing it on the front of the newspaper, he sees it online. Yeah. You know, there's no yeah. differences. It's not telling the story. Uh-huh. Because the characters actually don't feel very modern. Because no. they make all the same decisions. Same names. Same names. Same, same decisions. Names, same positions. You know, Julia Stiles, even she dresses like she's from the 60s at times. Yeah. Wow. No. Uh, it's a bit kind to uh, well, there Julia is Stiles. One, one point in particular. <laughs> but it, it doesn't tell the story from a modern perspective. No. I, what I would have been interested in is seeing the story... From, you know, maybe from a, a, a poorer family. Yeah. Rather than this privilege. Yeah. Or just seeing it from a slightly different angle. Mm-hmm. But because it's exactly the same, it doesn't feel modern at all. Mm. And has therefore aged terribly. Also, politics have, have always been in a, in a bad place. I mean, you know, I'm sure they weren't great in the 70s. But fucking hell. Politics were in a fucking rough place in 2006. If this kid is going to infiltrate this politician's house, kill his parents, and then become a, a uh, an, an evil politician, I mean, he'll fit right in. There's not really any threat there, is there? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, who was in, in America at this point? That was Bush? Been, it would have been Bush. Come Bush, on. Bush was in office. Like, seriously? Like, what, what's, I mean, you, you're already fucked, so, and, you know, I mean, without getting too much into politics. Things... was that much better in 76. Well, that's what I'm going to say, yeah, yeah, but, I mean, we've grown up in this era, though, we've seen it firsthand, what it was like. Yeah, but it doesn't even bring the politics into it, and it's something that both films don't do. Even if they'd brought the politics even more into the story, mm. it would have made it more interesting. It would have made it slightly different. Yeah. Now, whatever politics that is, I mean, it's never said who the president is. Cause you're no. Only, in both films, you only see the back of his head. It doesn't say whether he's a Republican or a Democrat. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say anything to do with that. No. If it had, it may have made the film a little more interesting mm-hmm. with the remake. It wasn't necessarily in, in, it wasn't necessary in the original... Because the original is the original. It does yeah. what it needs to do. And it does that very mm-hmm. well. To warrant its existence, other than to get money on the 6th of January 2006... June. Uh, yeah, June 2006, this film, the remake, had to have done something different to make it interesting. Yeah. Or just re-release the fucking original in <laughs> <Yeah>. the cinemas. <laughs> Do a new remaster of the original yeah. and release it on that date. Like, it's as simple as that. 3D or something like that. <laughs> it's funny that you said January because it absolutely feels like a January dump month film. Oh, yeah. It really does. Does that still exist? I feel like Megan killed the January dump month film because, mm. I mean, we all saw how good Megan was and that's released in January. Yeah, and I suppose with, like, Limitless and stuff, I don't know if there's something similar in America, but here, with Limitless, the cinema's never been more accessible. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you pay a monthly fee and you, you go. So yeah. I don't know how that affects things. Anyway, disturbing events begin to occur, including Damien being a little shit at the Foggy Park and hiding from his mum, and the suicide of Damien's nanny at his birthday party. Now, you know, original, iconic scene, camp. This is nothing of the sort. This is literally... She doesn't even go through the fucking window. Instead, her shoe falls off and smashes some glasses of wine. And everyone starts running around in circles. Like, what are you... Why? I, I was a little confused as to why everybody was running aimlessly. <laughs> I, I, I understand, you know, you're shocked and you want to grab your kids. But a lot of people were just running for around. <laughs> like there was a shark attack. And the thing is, because we know this is coming, it's like, yeah, right? It's, it's not effective at all. It's just the same thing, just not as good. And that is the problem. And like the bit in the park, the amount of smoke they use from that smoke machine. Guys, we know it's a horror film. We paid to go see it. It's fine. But what I wish the... And we're massive hypocrites sometimes. At least I am. What I would have liked them to have done if they were just going to go for the same plot, mm. is overdo it. Make it bigger. Yeah. Make it more spectacular. Mm-hmm. Make the it head more fall off ridiculous. Falls yeah, something like that. Make it gorier. Yeah. Well, he fought for an R rating. Yeah. So why not make the most it. of it? Use it. Because really, when you think about it, what happens in this film, apart from the decapitation, what happens in this film that couldn't have been in a PG-13? It's true. You know? It... It's yeah. a watered-down version. Yeah, there is only the one scene that I can think of that warrants an R rating. Yeah. Well, um, Harvey Stevens, who portrayed Damien in the original, has a little cameo here. He does. Showing up, asking Robert Fawn if the nanny was on drugs. Uh, Robert's then approached by Father Brennan, who claims to have been involved with events surrounding Damien's birth. Um, he... Is even more bizarre in this one. Like, you, you wouldn't believe a thing this man is saying, especially the way he's acting. He's played by Pete Possaway. I think that's how you pronounce it. He was a very accomplished actor. He was Oscar nominated. You know, and again, you get a very good cast here who have done some great stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Pete Possaway was maybe trying too hard. Oh, we definitely. I think was. he was maybe yeah. acting too much. Pair that alongside Leif Schreiber who's not trying at all, and it's a weird visual. I think so, and I think that's the problem. They don't play off of each other no. very well. Meanwhile, photographer Keith. Speaking of not playing off each other very well, I'm not putting any effort in. Photographer Keith Jennings uh, finds that several of his photographs contain mysterious omens, including premonitions of people's deaths. A new nanny, Mrs. Baylock, is hired, and Mia Farrow arrives, and she tries her best to save the film, but it's not working. Because as good as she is, she's still stuck in a shit film. And just before this, uh, we had some dialogue that I know you appreciated, where uh, Catherine and Robert are having an argument about uh, whether or not she should get a job, and she's like, I'm trying to raise a child. That's work. Oh, hon. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't... I, I, I wasn't on her side then. I was like... <laughs> Can't wait for you to be thrown out the hospital window. If only. If only. Tensions rise when Mrs. Baylock starts to uh, make decisions about the consent of the fawns, including adopting a Rottweiler for Damien's protection. Now, as we mentioned earlier on, 
is a completely different dog to who's to the dog that's at the birthday party. Yeah, I think why? I think it was an Alsatian. Yeah, at the birthday party, and then it's a Rottweiler for the rest of the film. Yeah. I just didn't understand. What's the point? The decision behind that. Yeah. Following an incident near a chapel in which Damien attacks Catherine, does not try snatching a wig, unfortunately, she begins experiencing vivid dreams about her son because it's 2006. One of these involves a red-hooded jackal skeleton and another involving him uh, wearing a stupid mask. And again, it's 2006 and subtlety within horror was long gone by this point. So wearing a red jacket. I swear in a lot of the promo pictures he was wearing a red jacket. Like, trying to be Don't Look Now-ish. Um, I think he was in one of them where he's, like, holding a bit of rope. Yeah. So, oh, my God, it's so stupid. It's like, why? It just plays into a lot of cliches, yeah. I felt, um, with the whole devil-child mm-hmm. thing. And when we compare the two characters of Damien um, towards the end of the episode, I'll say more... But it did, it did feel very cliched yeah. at times. Um, what I didn't enjoy was Catherine's outfit at the church. Terrible. Shiny purple jacket and skirt combo mm. with a Jackie Onassis style pillow box hat. Yeah. Um, and pearls. She doesn't serve a single look in this film. It's so disappointing. She doesn't. And she's trying to go for that Jackie Kennedy thing, mm-hmm. which, I mean, ages the film terribly. I mean, no, no, no. I mean, I, I mean, I got it, but I'm queer, you know. But your target audience aren't necessarily going to get that. No. I'm just like, what's she wearing? Uh-huh. You know, it. I mean, it was forty years uh-huh. before the film. Why is she dressed like that? Uh, when the Fawns visit a zoo, this time as part of a school trip, you know, change it up a little. The animals. She's a busy mother. She is, she is. She has to go on these school trips. <laughs> the animals react violently at the sight of Damien. Yeah, and Briefly. it's there's no camp giraffes. No. It's just it's a gorilla that smashes a CGI glass window. <laughs> and it doesn't even like shatter. They don't really run wild like the baboons did. Um yeah, just it's the same but less. Yeah. And that's the whole film. It's the same, uh-huh. but less. Much like Danny Minogue, Catherine begins to wonder uh, if there is something wrong with Damien. Father Brennan confronts uh, Robert in the pouring down of rain because it's a horror film, telling him that Damien's mother was a jackal and that the boy is the Antichrist. He explains that Damien must die and a man named Bugenhagen, uh, who is located in Megiddo, a kinesist. After being rebooked, uh, Father Brennan is killed during a lightning storm and we get a big close-up of the rod and the lightning hitting it and then there's some glass and then it goes through the glass and the glass smashes onto him as well as the pole and it's like, we don't need this, what are you doing? You know what I hate it? CGI. CGI. Yeah. Because it looked shit. Yeah. It looked awful. It really did. Catherine discovers she's pregnant and is determined to get an abortion in fear of having a child similar to Damien. Soon afterward, Damien is fed strawberries by Mrs. Baylock. What I loved, uh, well, actually it's quite late for 2006, for a rich kid in 2006, 
I'm not sure why he was playing a GameCube. Oh, yeah. Uh, it looked like he was... What? Obviously, in the original, it's him screeching and making noises. preaching, <laughs> making noises at the pool table. But in this one, it's him playing the GameCube too loud. And I swear it was a GameCube controller. But by 2006, the GameCube was on its deathbed. you think a rich kid would have had a PlayStation what, 2. 2, yeah. But I digress. I love the GameCube, by the way. Uh, Catherine, yeah, she, soon after Damien is fed strawberries by Mrs. Baylock, hops on a scooter, not a bike, or... Now um, that's modern. And causes an accident in which Catherine, wearing what looks like a fucking throw for a sofa that she probably could use as a parachute, is severely injured, resulting in her miscarriage. She falls over the banister again, and this time, there's uh, a few more flights of stairs for her to go down. Is there? Yeah. Definitely a bigger drop than the original. Oh, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I was um, I was mesmerised by that raggedy fro that she was wearing. <laughs> How did that save her? Like, it could have caught onto something. It's it... so big. <laughs> so unflattering. Whilst recovering in the hospital, Catherine confides in uh, her wooden husband that Damon, that Damien is evil. And he decides to rendezvous with Jennings in search of Damien's biological mother. Uh, the pair discovered the hospital where Damien was delivered uh, has since been demolished after a fire. Now, you thought the original had a few dull moments in the Rome section. Whew. Yeah. This is by far like about 30 to 40 of the most boring minutes of cinematic history. I, it is I did. fucking dull. I have to say I did switch off. They travelled to um, Subiaco. Subiaco? Subiaco is it? Subiaco. Subiaco, yeah. Um, apologies to anyone from Subiaco. And uh, they meet Father Spilletto and his unnecessarily over-the-top monster makeup effects who <laughs> directs them to a graveyard. It's giving Gary Oldman In Hannibal. Hannibal. Yeah. yeah. It's like, why? Why does he look like this? I mean, he originally had a bit of a dodgy eye and that was it. Like, Well, he had burns in the Yeah, burns, but not like, but to this, this level. This one is... Yeah, but I, I mean, I kind of appreciated it. Because it did something different. It went a bit more over the top with it. I wish the whole film had been like that. You know, if you're... Again, if you're going to give me the same story, make it bigger. Mm-hmm. At least yeah. make it bigger. They, uh, they go and find the grave of Damien's mother, who was, of course, revealed to indeed have been a jackal, and in the neighbouring tomb, the corpse of his murdered biological son. They're attacked by a pack of dogs and barely escape. Just like the original. Not like the original. Mrs. Baylock uh, pays Catherine a visit in the hospital and causes her to have an air embolism, uh, which kills her, whilst Damien makes a police officer cry by staring at him. Uh, Mrs. Baylock then gives the kiss of death to Catherine. Uh, Mia Farrow decided to give this kiss. It wasn't scripted, and no one knew she was going to do it. Okay. There we are. Most interesting part of a very <laughs> dull moment in the film. Like, come on, love. Throw out the window. Throw out the fucking window <laughs> in the original. You got a $25 million dollar budget. One? Throw out the window. <laughs> they trying to up the tension. Did they think that, you know, we thought Catherine would survive? <laughs> or someone would come in? I just, I don't understand. It was really boring. It was. It was that was giving PG thirteen death scene. Mm-hmm. 
Learning of Catherine's death, Robert tries to uh, show some emotion but fails and then goes to Megiddo where he meets Bugenhagen and receives instructions on how to kill Damien on consecrated ground with seven sacrificial daggers. Mm. Bugenhagen tells Robert to examine Damien for a birthmark in the shape of three sixes. However, Robert's an even bigger moron in this film. is like... I can't kill my own son. Bitch, you know he's not your own son. You just saw the corpse of your own son. What are you talking about? Because in the original, he doesn't actually say that. No. He says, I can't kill a boy. Yeah. He, he doesn't say my son. This guy, what, what is he talking about? Not your son. No. Just go and murder him. And then he throws the daggers away. Whilst reaching down to pick up the daggers, Jennings is suddenly decapitated by a fallen sign because Final Destination. Yeah, and again, it's people working on the roof, and one of them drops a hammer, and then the hammer knocks the nail out, and then the sign goes for a swing, Yeah, it decapitates him. I mean, it's a pretty cool effect, considering the rest of the film. Um, I mean, his head's not spinning. No. Yeah, no, it's fine. I mean, it's probably the most memorable death in this film as well. Yeah. Well, Robert takes the daggers, arrives home, and is attacked by Mrs. Baylock's Rottweiler, which he traps in the basement. In Damien's room, he finds a 666 birthmark, and Mrs. Baylock attacks him in her red and silky pyjamas that stay the same colour throughout the whole scene. They do. Um, this is one thing that was much better in the remake, her pyjamas. Yeah. Yeah. He fends her off, uh, takes Damien, and drives to a nearby cathedral, running over Mrs. Baylock in the process which was originally done in the original, scripted and filmed, but Richard Donner got rid of it for being too excessive. Oh. Okay. Um, pursued by the police, Robert... Oh, I'm sorry, I just need to make something very clear right here, right now. What's that? The scene where she does get run over is high That camp. is high camp. She does do a few flips in the air. She does a few flips in the air. <laughs> comes back down with a foot. <laughs> Doing splits when she lands. Yeah. Let's get she's sickening. Come on, 666. Let's get sickening. <laughs> Me and Farrow, the hair's gone crazy by this point. <laughs> it's raining. It, it is maybe my favourite part of the film. Is your favourite part not during the first death scene in the car where the random woman screams and then uh, there's a, like a two second clip of her being really over the top and jumping backwards? That's my second favourite part of the film. <laughs> Pursued by the police, Robert flees to a church to kill Damien, but is shot dead before he can before he can kill him uh, by a diplomatic protection officer. Uh, the Pope simultaneously dies. <laughs> yeah. Robert's funeral is attended by the President of the United States, who holds Damien's hand. Damien then looks at the audience and smiles knowingly as the credits roll. How original. I think more than any other 2000s horror remake this feels like a cash grab yeah it's pretty much the same film mm -hmm. it's exactly the same plot exactly to to the letter mm -hmm. um everything that it does slightly differently it does lesser than mm -hmm. and i mean I checked my IMDb rating from when I watched it in 2006. I gave it 4 out of 10. And I think that was fucking generous. That was very generous. Watching the two films back to back, like, 
it, it just it feels very cheeky. Yeah. It actually it feels quite rude. Uh-huh. Like, why are you doing this to horror fans? Yeah. Re release the original, you dickheads. Give us a lovely deluxe DVD package. It's like, why would you choose to watch this? 666. Why would you choose to watch a film that's copied in another film, but with shittier acting? But I, I, it made, yes, it made money, because I think it was obviously played on the date. But I've never seen this on TV randomly. No. Is it on streaming services? Um, has it? It we'll was in, find out. We have the Omen collection. Yeah, it's in Blu-ray, the box. Set. But I've never seen it. Do you understand? Like the Ring remake, is still cropping up. Yeah, every, you know. Yeah, here, there, and everywhere. The, I don't to think. This day. Yeah, I don't think Twentieth uh, Century Fox have ever released it. I don't really want to remind the world that this exists. No. No. Yeah. yeah. This ain't getting no uh, big cult following or a yeah, release of our own video anytime soon. No. No. Because people hate it. People hate it. People hated it, you know. So, yeah. But let's get to the award. I mean, they don't want to talk about it. I know. <laughs> let's get to the awards. I know. 1976, it's visually incredible, creepy looking. Incredible cinematography. It's still eerie and effective. The kills are inventive. And the score won a fucking Oscar. Jerry yeah. Goldsmith's score and the song, Ave Satani, uh, remains the only best original song Oscar nominated for a horror film until Demi Lovato next year was still alive from Scream 6. Hopefully. Um, and the only nominee that was written and sung in Latin as well. Oh. But yeah, it... It all works. It just all works. Yeah. It is a masterfully crafted film. Um, the soundtrack is so over the top, despite a lot of the things in the film being subtle. And it's still, that blend still works. Yeah. Cinematography looks great, mm-hmm. holds up now. Yes, it's from the 70s, so it's not, you know, it's not going to look like it was made yesterday, mm-hmm. um, but still holds up. The scares, yeah, it's scary. At times, yeah. but I don't. I don't think it's meant to be that kind of scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you understand what I yeah. mean? Um, kills iconic. Yeah. Soundtrack iconic. Mm-hmm. They both have stood the test of time. Yeah. With the remake, why so grey? It's so ugly. It I really know. Is such an ugly film. I know the weather in the UK isn't the best, but <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. Looks like. A dull version of a 2000s horror remake. Yeah. And it tries so hard to be a horror film. Whereas the original was trying not to be. It was yeah. trying not to include the supernatural things. Yeah. This was trying so hard, which is insulting to the audience. It makes the audience look like they're stupid and they won't get it. The scares, because we, we've we watched the original, mm. watching it again, we know what's going to happen. So it's not scary because it hasn't done anything different. No. It's doing exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, kills. CGI. Yeah. Mm, I don't think. Um, duller than the original. Yeah. Not, you know, when it's tried to do something a little different, it's made it lamer. Yeah. Well, well not lamer. Lame. Yeah. <laughs> Lame. <laughs> and uh, soundtrack didn't even notice. 
Who, the soundtrack. Who is she? I don't know. I, o- I always try and listen out for a soundtrack, and this is the most generic fucking soundtrack you'll ever hear, which is ridiculous when you are remaking a film with such an iconic soundtrack. Oh my god, rip off the original yeah. for fuck's sake. Yeah. This just sounds like any other film. Do it an electronic version of the original. Yeah. Do you know, just copy it and do something mm-hmm. different and make it bigger and you know the what the Omen remake should have been in two thousand and six, it should have been over the top, ridiculous yeah. and a camp old time. Yeah. That's what it should have been. If you're going to go scene for scene from the original, you need to make it bigger, mm-hmm. bolder, camper. Yeah. Like it's stupid. Yeah. I'd like to sit here and say it was a trash to piece. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't. Spoiler alert. It no. wasn't. It was fucking dull. With that being said, all of the awards go to the original. <laughs> of course. Let's get to the characters. We've got Damien in 1976, played by Harvey Stevens, and 2006, played by Seamus Davey Fitzpatrick. Now, you know, child actors could be very hit or miss. Um, I think sometimes it's unfair to come down hard on a child actor when, you know, I mean, their kids are just getting into acting and everything. Yeah. So I'm not necessarily going to blame Seamus Davey Fitzpatrick for his performance, but I'm going to blame the fucking director who did not even try and get anything creepy out of him. In fact, no, no, sorry. He did. He did. But in a different way to what Richard Donner did. Now, Richard Donner just pissed off Harvey Stevens. He would, like, say horrible things to him, get him in a bad mood and wind him up and whatever. And then he just looked like a bratty, annoying kid, which made him creepy. It's like, okay, is he or isn't he the Antichrist? Because he kind of just comes across as an annoying kid. But then when certain things happen and he gives that look, it's like, okay, that's fucking creepy. Seamus Davy Fitzpatrick, he is trying so hard. Like the wedding scene. Oh my God, the pouting, darling. The pouting. What the fuck? What are you doing? Why? It, it is so generic. It's like, oh my God, yes. We've all seen every other fucking creepy kid film ever. Groundbreaking. Act like a normal kid. That's scarier. Yeah, there were there were moments in the original that actually reminded me of the Babadook. Mm, yeah. Um, and that kind of child performance. Yes. Um, I think Damien in the original is surprisingly absent from a lot of the film. He is, yeah. We, I assumed that the whole child being the devil thing would feature him running around like an evil Matilda. Mm. Uh, but that's really not the case. No. You know, there was always going to be the inevitable comparisons to The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. And this was a good way of skewing those expectations and not having him go around, you know, psychically killing people. Mm-hmm. It's a whole different entity that creates these death scenes. Yeah. And it's a huge difference between the original and the remake is that in the remake, it feels like um, Seamus Davy Fitzpatrick is trying really hard to act. Mm. Like, the, the director's told him, well, you have to act like this. Yeah. And the struggle with child actors is you can really tell when they're trying to act. Mm-hmm. And it looks false. Yeah. It seems very forced. Mm-hmm. You know, like when he's squinting his eyes yeah. really hard mm-hmm. when the fir- with the first meeting from Mrs. Baylock. 
you know, it, it's not coming across natural. No. And it looks silly mm-hmm. when it shouldn't. And, and it plays into those stereotypical yeah. devil child, you know, stereotypes yeah. from, from films. Yeah. And then even if you look at something like the final scene where he's in the church and, uh, like in the original, you know, when Damien's like screaming for help and like he begs his dad not to kill him, it's like, oh shit, this guy is, this kid is like the Antichrist and I'm still feeling something here. Like, oh my God, is he going to, should he kill him? Like what's going on? The remake, I was like, I'll just fucking kill him. Like, he's <laughs> obviously the fucking Antichrist. Just murder him. Like, seriously. Yeah. So it goes to Harvey Stevens. Oh, yes. Well, um, it goes to the original. It goes to the original. It goes to the original. Yeah, because I think with child actors, obviously, a lot of it is dependent. Shit, the remake police come oh. to get us. Yeah. A lot of it is dependent on what the director yeah. tells them to mm-hmm. do. Because they haven't really formed their abilities well, yet. A bit actors. of trivia, the remake, the kid in the remake, they didn't tell him that he was meant to be the son of the devil. Mm. They didn't tell him that because they thought he wouldn't understand it. So mm-hmm. instead he just kept... They made up a Damien face that he kept telling him to do. Yeah, oh, okay. Great. That that really makes sense. Uh, Robert Fawn, 1976, Gregory Peck, and 2006, Live Schreiber. Um, in the original, did you notice he looked particularly flattering? Um, in many other shots. Yes. That's because Richard Donner frequently had to reshoot his close-ups because the star objected to being seen with a double chin. Okay, yeah, that's very classic <laughs> Hollywood. He also looked very confused whenever he was on the phone. Yeah. Like, it just in general, like, even if it was a normal phone call, he looked very confused. So mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not sure what he was being told was being said during the phone <laughs> calls. But Gregory Peck, fantastic actor. Yeah. Wonderful performance. Really... Works well as a good guy. I mm-hmm. mean, in he won his Oscar for To Kill a Mockingbird, one of cinema's most famous good guys. Yeah. Um, and I think Lee Schreiber, and I'm not sure if it's because of the roles we've seen him in, mm-hmm. particularly Cotton Weary, I don't know if he plays a good, good guy. No. I'm not sure if he can play that role. No. Because it doesn't... Maybe it's because we only see him as cotton weary. You say this. I mean, no matter who he's playing in this film, he just looks bored. Like there's no effort there, but no emotion. A bit shifty. I always yeah. think he, his acting style makes him seem a bit shifty, which works a lot of the yeah. time. But it didn't in this. No, it didn't. He he genuinely looks so bored. Um, and there's there's nothing put in there. Like again, that church scene at the end. Like, he looks like he just can't be bothered to kill him. Like, he's, yeah. he looked relieved when he got shot. I was like, oh, thank God, I don't have to do anything now. And fucking Gregory Peck, I'm honestly surprised he wasn't nominated for an Oscar. Like, he puts so much into the role. And obviously, there's the trouble in history with the fact that his son commits suicide and everything that adds to this. But either way, it is a fantastic performance. Yeah, Gregory Peck elevates the film. Mm. He really does. Yeah. Leave Schreiber, not so much. No, so it does go to the original. 
Catherine Fawn, 1976, Lee Remick, and 2006, Julia Stiles, Lee Remick, a girl, gives us outfits in every scene, serving even when she's in hospital with a full face of makeup. Oh my god, her hair is always perfect, even yeah. after it's almost snatched. Even after she's thrown out of a window. Oh know, god. She doesn't stand for any shit, and she fucking hates kids, girl after my own heart. Like, yeah. She is just a 10 out of 10 character, and... She actually doesn't get that much screen time, but she makes she so much of an impact sense. that she, it feels like she gets more than she's got. Yeah. Arguably, I thought her story was more interesting than maybe Robert's story. Yeah. Because Robert didn't really have a story, necessarily, whereas Catherine was struggling with her maternal instincts. Yeah. Um. You know, again, very much like the Babadook. And it's... Mm-hmm expertly crafted in the Babadook. And I wish we would have maybe seen that a little more. Yeah. You know, she didn't get enough screen time, what she did. She absolutely served. Acting, face, hair, outfits. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would have liked to have seen more of her story. Yeah, definitely. Actually. And that's a credit to Lee Remick, who gives a great performance. Yeah. In the remake, they try and flesh her out with the dream sequences... She doesn't serve a single look. Nope. And actually comes across a bit whiny. Yeah, I had enough of her. Like, she was really annoying. Yeah, she's actually probably more annoying than Damien was. Yeah. Damien was just playing on the GameCube. Yeah. You know? Such a shame. Because Julia Stiles is a millennial icon. Yeah. And, you know, this comes at the end of a good run of films mm. for her, from my perspective. Yeah. Um, and it's a real shame. Yeah. It's a real shame. Well, at least she was good at speaking Italian. She was all right. She tried her best, didn't she? Yeah. So, original's the winner again. Yes. Keith Jennings in 1976, played by David Warner, and 2006, played by David Fulis. David Warner is campus tits in this film. His hair's amazing. His costumes are amazing. You know, it's not often a man can serve looks the way David Warner does in that original film. Um, yeah, he says a few looks. He does, Super 70s. He's, yeah, he is giving Rolling Stones energy. Necktie. Yeah. You know. Um, he, he's got that Osmond's hair on the go. It's like, <laughs> oh my God, it's amazing. And I just love David Warner and everything. We, we love David Warner. Did he recently die? No, I don't think it was. Well, no, it was recent, I feel it I was. Think. I feel it was, yeah. It's probably piece. less recent than we think, but yeah. Um... <laughs> I, I just, for me, it boils... Because both characters are pretty much the same and do pretty much the same thing. Um, for me, it all boils down to that death scene and David Warner's flying head. See, I mean, I kind of feel like David Warner made a bit of an impact before that. I was... He wasn't exactly the most interesting character, but I thought it was a good performance. Whereas David yeah. Fulis shows up, chews gum, smokes, talks shit, dies. Like, I felt like they gave him... Even though it was scene for scene, it felt like he had less to do because he did nothing. Yeah. He he just... He brought nothing. No screen presence. He was completely forgettable. He had about five different accents. And he was nominated for a Razzie for this. And previous podcast film, Basic Instinct 2. Not a great year for David Fulis, who, again, is a very accomplished actor. You know, he starred mm. in some Mike Lee films. And Lord knows I've 
fucking love Mike Lee. Mm -hmm. You know, a real capable actor given this dog shit role. Yeah. And maybe not being able to do anything with it. I think I think he was probably nominated more for Basic Instinct wow. too. Um but yeah, I I suppose in both cases maybe I would like to Keith to have been shortened down a mm. little his role and then that time given to Catherine. Yeah. Um, but obviously David Warner is David Warner. We love him. Mm -hmm. He may become our most watched actor on <laughs> Letterboxd. It's creeping up, isn't it? It is. He's he's been in everything. Yes, yes, yeah. So he wins this round. Yes. Finally, Mrs. Baylock, nineteen seventy six, Billy Whitelaw, two thousand six, Mia Farrow, the only only round on in this original versus remake where there's a tiny bit of competition. Yes. Billy Whitelaw, she's a bad bitch. She is there to fuck shit up and she is evil. She's one of those kind of like the uh, nurse in New Nightmare where it's like, oh my God, you're so fucking horrible. I want to see more of you. Like you're so fucking good at what you do. Like she is amazing at playing this horrible character and I was here for every second of it. I thought Mia Farrow was fantastic in the remake. I, it is the best performance of the film. Is it Billy Whitelaw level? No. But she is the most energetic thing in that remake. And she is trying her absolute best. I think in both cases, they do the creepy factor very well. Yeah. Um, I think Mia Farrow understood the... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? The assignment. The assignment. Yeah. Thank you understood the assignment and she gave us camp yeah she gave us over the top mm -hmm. you know adding that kiss yeah to the moment it's what the film needed something mm -hmm. some energy yeah you know and i think billy light white law did a great job in the original very creepy um very good at um main character that has something to hide yeah something hidden, mm -hmm. but isn't actually over the top. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's in two different ways that they gave a great performance. It's that character. Because, mm -hmm. you know, let's look at things a little differently in a remake. Yeah. I love how much energy they both gave attacking Robert Thorne in that scene, you know. And Mia Farrow's pyjamas were They better. were better pyjamas. But it's still going to be It's Billy White. I don't colour changing pyjamas. Yes. And for our final four awards, <laughs> may I remind you, the remake has nothing so far. Biggest Queen, got to be Catherine Fawn in the original. It's Catherine Fawn in the original. Biggest Gasp, it's got to be that decapitation in the original. Mine is the nanny hanging herself okay. in the original. Because the first time I watched it, mm -hmm. it caught me off guard. Yeah. It was so early into the film. So that was a real gasp moment for me yeah like whereas when i first watched the original obviously after watching the remake the decapitation still shocked me because of how long it went on for yeah and the spin best dialogue i have it's all for you damien in the original yes i went with uh, what could be wrong with our child we're the beautiful people aren't we <laughs> i think it, it was a very interesting thing yeah. for her to say and finally that's camp I have Damien snatching his mother's turban and trying to snatch her wig because he was scared of a church in the original. Now, turn out for the books. 
this is the first award going to the remake. Really? Because that's camp. It's Mrs. Baylock being run over. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. That was camp. I just deserved that. That was camp. Um, and with that means, I mean, let's do our, our ratings for both. So, um, for the 1976 original, I give it 10 pairs of colour changing pajamas out of 10. <laughs> I give it nine baboon balls out of ten. <laughs> uh, but remake, I give it two Italian lessons with Julia Stiles out of ten. <laughs> and I give it two spinning mere pharaohs out of ten. And that's been generous. <laughs> uh, and if you would like to watch either of these films, you can find them on DVD, Blu-ray, Video On Demand, and Disney+. Plus. Ah, both of them. Both of them. Wow. Yeah. Wowzers. Come on, 20th Century Fox. Uh, if you enjoy the original, then I recommend watching The Exorcist. If you enjoyed the original, I recommend watching Final Destination. And if you enjoyed the remake, I recommend watching Final Destination 3. If you enjoyed the remake, I recommend watching Final Destination... The Final Destination, the shit one. Because <laughs> you clearly enjoy shit films. But yes, with that being said, the original is the winner... There's no competition whatsoever. <laughs> there isn't. There really isn't. Yeah, it's go go watch the original. Don't don't watch the remake. It's just why if you but haven't it's seen the same it. Film. If you haven't seen it, don't watch it. We've suffered, so you don't have to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I mean, you know, do do, do as you please. Just just remember, we warned you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Don't come telling me. Brings us to the best and worst of the month. Yes. A quiet one, do you know? Actually, there's not been a quiet one. What we've just rewatched a lot of films this month, but yeah, we do seem to have rewatched a lot. Yeah, I mean, my worst of the month is an old film, which is I know it goes against our rules. Sorry, um, but yeah, best new release of the month is for me and probably for you. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Yes, big surprise, very, very surprised about how good that film was but how almost relatable it was yeah. i don't think i was going to be able to relate and obviously i can't relate to actually the, the ins and outs of what happens mm -hmm. in the film but it was very heartwarming it was. and really really well made really well acted yeah i was very much caught off guard by how great uh -huh. this it, it's one of those books that I don't really think came over to the UK. No. So I had only known the book from jokes in films and television, mm -hmm. which usually would be about periods. Yeah. And he was like, well, this is the book that, you know, taught me what periods were and, mm -hmm. and such. And so I didn't think that I would relate to that aspect of the film. And I didn't, obviously. Um, but there's so much more to yes. it than that. Yeah. I I was thoroughly thoroughly surprised. Yeah. And Kathy Bates deserves an Oscar nomination. She, she was fantastic. She looked like the woman from Bewitched, mm -hmm. not the Irish girl group. <laughs> um, and she was amazing. She's so funny. Yeah. And for the worst of the month, I, again, I've got to go into the older films because we haven't got a bad new release this month. No. Uh, I'm going to give it to Eyewitness. 
Now, Eyewitness was very disappointing. I'm not. By the way, I'm not counting podcast films because if I was, I'd be going to Tall Girl. Easy. Yes, of course. Eyewitness was very disappointing. But I watched Aliens vs. Predator Requiem uh, for the first time. There we go. And that was fucking dog shit. Yeah. That was abysmal. Yeah. So was Alien vs. Predator 2. Everything I fucking hate in Alien vs. Predator Requiem is Alien vs. Predator 2. Whatever. Alien. Well, what's Alien vs. Predator 1? Whatever. We watched them both. <laughs> we watched them back to back. And it was a dismal evening. I fucking hated it. Everything I hate about films, it was shit. Yeah. I agree. I agree. <laughs> um, yeah, another case of revisiting stuff from the 2000s and realising it's actually not as good as you remember. Yes. Um, yeah, for me, it was the Memphis Eyewitness because how dare you take Sigourney Weaver and put her in something so shockingly bad. Mm, like, it, it was... It, I don't even know how to describe it. I didn't think it was that badly made. It was it's really dull. It got so lost up its own ass. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's just like, you're, you're not Boring. being clever now, you're just being stupid. Like, stop. Just end the film. Yeah, it was generally dull. Honourable mentions. Um, I'm sure you probably have some from the end of last month since our last episode. I certainly do. Uh, I have Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Yes. Which was fantastic. That was. Absolutely soul-destroying, but fantastic. Yeah, I was very close to bawling my eyes out. I don't often you include short films, but this house has people in it was so good and really really creepy. So I've got to include that. It's a lot of the things that you love mm-hmm. in found footage. Yeah. Mm. What's up, Doc? Was great. Oh, that was fantastic. When did yeah. we watch that? Oh my god, that feels so long ago. Yeah. Oh, I fucking love that film. When did we watch that? Like a few weeks ago. Wow. Yeah. I think we did it as a dual bill with Eyewitness, actually. Yeah. Oh, that was great. Masseuse. (laughs) Part of our erotic full of Fridays. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it was good. Yeah, it's good. It it depends what you want from a film. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend it to my mum, but I was entertained. Uh, I watched She's All That for the first time and really enjoyed it, despite being a little dated. Uh, Black Sabbath, we watched on the big screen as a dual bill with Blood and Black Lace. Amazing. Um, good on Mario Barber, making things creepy in a way that not a lot of other people can. And finally for me is uh, Panther Squad, because it's the first film I watched when I turned 31. Yes. And if you, Sib- skip, if you, past, Sybil Danning. If you skip past the first half an hour, you're in for a very entertaining film. If you love Sybil Danning being camp, you're in yeah. for a great time. Uh, yeah, personally, I uh, I think you may see a theme for our viewing uh, this month because I very much enjoyed uh, um, Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection. Mm-hmm. I thought uh, they'd had terrible... First time watching them, they'd had terrible reputations, but I didn't actually think they were that bad. No. No. I quite enjoyed them. Um can I tell you what you watched for the first time? What did I watch? That you missed? At the end of last month. At the end of last month. Heartbreakers. Yes, that was a highlight. So going to Weaver Day. Yes. Copycat. Copycat. Yes. Yes. Um, And you enjoyed those, but I'd, I I'd seen them previously. And I think that's about it, really. Prometheus was your first time watching. That's fine. You rated it higher than... Alien Covenant. Than... I... Well, you read it higher than three and four. No. Oh, okay. No, that's that's not true. I suppose what you say after you finish watching it, but okay. 
Um, I enjoyed Prometheus more than Bitch, I've ever enjoyed. I lied. So, yeah. And the same goes for Free and Resurrection. I enjoyed those more than I've ever enjoyed them as well. I've always liked them. Um, but yeah, that, that is it for our original versus remake for this month. Tell us what you love about the Omen remake so we could do a study into your psyche and find out what's wrong with you. Um, tell... <laughs> no, no one loves the Omen remake. But if, if... It's fine. People... Anyone listening out there, this is a pub, public service <laughs> announcement. It is 10 o'clock. Do you know where your... Ch- no, sorry. Um, <laughs> Are you watching the Omen remake? If you Stop enjoy... Stop what you're doing. You enjoy whatever films you want to enjoy. Yeah? You listen to us because I hope that you have similar taste to us. Um, but if you enjoyed the Omen remake, that said, is huh? fine. Just don't <laughs> tell me about it. Keep it to yourself. Well, spam Chris with Omen remake messages. We are Horror Court Trash Over <laughs> on Facebook and Instagram. Horror Court Trash on Twitter. I'm Gaz 92 on Letterboxd. Gazmo205 on Instagram and GazCruise92 on Twitter. I'm Chris Barker 823 on Letterboxd and Instagram. I'm patiently awaiting your Omen remake messages. And, uh, of course, we're also Gasparafest across social media. We're getting closer and closer to the event. If you've been to FUP in Manchester, you may have seen our pretty little leaflets. If you've been to Affleck, you may have seen some. Uh, yeah, come come say hi. Come watch us show some great films. Yeah, and they are really fantastic films. They really are. And yes. we want as many people to watch them as possible mm-hmm. because they deserve a platform. Yeah. And we would love you to join us. Get your tickets whilst you can. Yes. Uh, if you enjoyed the episode, give us a rate, review and subscribe on iTunes. A like and follow on everything else. Give us a rating on Spotify. We have delayed a certain episode. But we are bringing you that certain episode. Two episodes that I feel are actually quite anticipated from, mm. from feedback I've had. Um, Tuesday... We will finally be releasing the Bratz episode. We just had the busiest weekend of our lives and we want to put effort into the episode. We don't want to rush it. So, I, you know, I'm a mother. You know, <laughs> I'm rushed off my feet. But yes, we'll be back on Tuesday with Bratz. And double episode week to kick off Pride Month. We will be bringing you our Howraiser final our Howraiser episode. Howraiser for years, part five. Hellraiser Judgment and the remake. The remake is absolutely a film to be celebrated during Pride Month. Judgment is not. There we go. We've got to finish the franchise sometime or another. I'm half excited to tell you that. Yeah. And then, of course, it is Pride Month. And we're happy to confirm our guests will be Ben Simpson returning. A Nightmare on Fierce Street podcast. Life's But a Song podcast. And Curtis's Corner returning. Yes, love guests on the podcast, and I can't wait. Yeah, and we'll be ending Pride Month with next month's original versus remake, where we'll be discussing the original gay film, the original gay horror film. I'm safe, think I'm safe to say, I believe it was the first horror film to uh, feature the gays. Dracula's Daughter, well, openly anyway. Um. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. We'll let you know on the episode. Come back and find out. That's true. We'll tell you all about it. Yeah. Dracula's Daughter and its loose remake, executive produced by David Lynch and starring David Lynch, Naja. 
Mm, yeah. I've never even heard of it until you'd mentioned it. Right so really excited. And although it's a loose remake, we're still going to discuss it because it's our podcast and also because it looks like it'll be a lot of fun to discuss. Yes. So we'll be back, same time, same place, on Tuesday. Bye. Bye.